Let's turn to the epistle of John, 3 John. Uh, yeah, 3 John, toward the back of the Bible. And uh, we've been on a study of what kind of God do we serve? Uh, do we, uh, you know, do we serve the same God um, that Abraham served? Do we say, serve the same God Isaac and Jacob served? We've been looking specifically at the patriarchs. Uh, what kind of God did they know? What kind of God did they serve? Did they know a God who wanted them to, to struggle uh, in their health? Did they know a God who wanted them to, to struggle financially? Did, did they know a God who believed that, you know, by being sick and poor, uh, he's able to teach you uh, certain things? Uh, or did they know that um, did they know a God who, who blessed them, who multiplied them, who increased them? Did they know a rich and generous God uh, uh, who, who wanted to bless them abundantly? Or did they know a God uh, that uh, was stingy and, and, and a, was a God of shortage and lack? Uh, we, we've been studying from the Bible, what the Bible says, how God dealt with these uh, saints in the Old Testament and it's important that we know this because we're serving the same God that they served. So God has not changed. Malachi 3 6 says I am the Lord I change not. Hebrews 13 8 says Jesus Christ the same uh, today yesterday and forever. So God has not changed and his will has not changed. So um, however he dealt with uh, Abraham and his natural descendants uh, he's it's his will to deal the same way with us his spiritual the spiritual descendants of Abraham so our main text has been in 3 John verse 1 and 2 and it says the elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth beloved I pray or some translations say, I wish or desire that you may prosper in all things, not some things, not many things, but all things, and be in health. Then he tells us how this is going to happen. First of all, he tells us it's his desire above all things that we prosper. He tells us it's his desire above all things that we be in health. Now, if that's the only verse we had, we would know the will of God. But obviously, we're not basing this on one verse of Scripture. There are many, many, many more Scriptures in the Bible that we also believe and also confirm uh, this truth. But this is the one we're, we're focusing on right now. And then he tells us how is this uh, being in good health and how is this uh, prospering spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. How does it happen? It happens as your soul begins to prosper. Uh, the, on the Word, the Word of God, as you begin to hear it and believe it and speak it, it begins to change the image on the inside of you. You don't see yourself poor anymore. You don't see yourself struggling anymore. You don't see yourself doing without anymore. You, it changes what you believe. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you talk. And as, as uh, this change on the inside happens, the manifestation of this prosperity and being in good health begins to manifest itself externally. 
So the prospering begins internally, in your soul, in your mind, uh, in your spirit, and it begins to change the image on the inside of you, and you begin to see yourself the way God sees you. And as this prospering internally uh, takes place, it's a process, then you will begin to notice that you begin to prosper and be in good health externally. Now, uh, we've learned in our study in the past few sessions that Abraham knew a God who was a blesser. He knew a covenant-keeping God, a God who blessed him and increased him spiritually, numerically, physically, materially, and financially. Isaac, uh, his son, knew a God who made his father rich. Isaac knew a God who blessed him 100-fold. He knew a 100-fold blessing God. God multiplied and increased Isaac 100 times what he planted in a land that was experiencing a famine. Not just an economic setback, but a complete famine. When everybody else around him was starving, he was receiving uh, a hundred times in crops and, and herds and cattle. Uh, God was blessing him. What about Jacob, the grandson of Abraham? Uh, Jacob, we, we saw he got off uh, to a rough start in, in his adult life. Isaac had a very smooth start to his adult life because he inherited all of Abraham's wealth plus all of this uh, hundredfold return uh, that we just described. But Jacob's life, adult life, got off to a very different start. It was very rough and uh, the main reason it was rough is because he was a deceiver and he was a liar. And that that made things difficult for him. The, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So he, made, he and his mother, who concocted this scheme to deceive Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing instead of Esau, this scheme um, really backfired on them in, in, in a way, even though Jacob did obtain the blessing by deception. Uh, but it caused his life to begin in a very rocky, rough way. And he had to flee from home for his life with nothing but a stick and a duffel bag. Uh, but uh, over the years, as Jacob was sent to his uncle Laban to stay there till things cooled down at home, he wound up staying there many years. But uh, during that time, Jacob changed and God began to bless and prosper him while he was working for his corrupt, cheating uncle, Laban. And when he fled from home, like I said, he had nothing but a stick and a duffel bag. But over this 20-year period of time, he changed from being a deceiver to uh, a prince of God. That's what... Uh, the name Jacob means he deceives. And you know, when he, ha he wrestled with this angel in this dream, and, and he would not give up. Jacob would not, he said, I am not giving up till you bless me. He was determined he was going to be blessed. And this angel said to him, your name is no longer going to be deceiver, Jacob. Your name's going to be Israel, prince of God. And after 20 years, Jacob returned home with possessions, family, and employees that made up two camps of people. How did that happen? Because he had the anointing and the blessing of increase on him. When studying the God kind of prosperity, we usually focus on God's desire to bless us, what his word says about his desire to bless us and his ability uh, to bless and increase us. 
spiritually, physically, and financially. So we usually focus on God's part of blessing us. Um, but today we're going to look at the opposite side of the coin. What kind of people can God bless? What, uh, what are the attributes of people that God can fully bless? That's what we want to talk about today because there's a God side and there's a human side. Uh, what kind of men were the patriarchs? What attributes did they possess that enabled God to bless them to the degree that he did? Is it all up to God who is blessed and who is poor? Um, millions of Christians believe it's all up to God who's rich and who's poor, who's sick and who's healthy, who's lost and who is saved. This is, this is a popular doctrine in some Christian circles. But when it comes to financial and material blessing, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to uh, health, there's a God side and there's a personal side. And God has a part to play in this and we have a part to play in this. And, and many people don't want to acknowledge the personal side of it because it's a whole lot easier to just blame somebody else you know or just say it's all up to God if, if it's his will to heal me he'll heal me if it's his will to bless me he'll bless me no there is a God side and there's a personal side now I came across a um, an independent research group in America that has discovered three steps to avoiding poverty. And it's not a great revelation, really. It's just common sense, but we live in a time where common sense is very rare. But these are the three steps that they found. If, if, if young people today will follow these three steps, they can drastically reduce their chances of ever living in poverty. The first one is finish school. Now, whatever country you live in, whether uh, it's high school, whether it's GCSE, whether it's A-levels, whatever educational system you're in, you need to finish school. The second thing they found was get a full-time job. Now, you can see where number two is very dependent on number one. It's very difficult to get a full-time job if you haven't finished school and you have no basic qualifications. Uh, I mean, even today, many kids finish school and they're functionally illiterate when they finish because they've just been passed through school and sometimes they end up 18 years old and they're reading on a six or seven year old level by the time they finish school. But let's just assume that um, they have finished school and they get a full-time job. The third thing that people can do to avoid living in poverty is get married before having children. Now in their research they found that people who follow these three steps they reduce their chances of ever living in poverty down to 2%. You can reduce your chances of being poor down to 2% just by following these three steps. Another study by another group confirmed this, and they found in the age group 28 to 35 years old, the people who did not follow these three steps, 53% of them were living in poverty. The uh, people who did follow these three steps, they finished school, they got a full-time job, and they got married before having kids, only 3% wound up living in poverty. Now, uh, these findings drive the anti-God people 
the anti-capitalism and the anti-personal responsibility demagogues crazy because these findings destroy their arguments about social injustice. These people go ballistic. When you reduce the poverty solution down to these three simple steps, which all involve personal responsibility. Now, these three steps, finishing school, getting a full-time job, and getting married before having children, these are just three practical steps from a natural standpoint that will reduce people's chances of ever being poor. This is not even taking into consideration what we're talking about here. It's not even taking into consideration the spiritual side, being born again, uh, living according to the word, following the Bible principles of, of faith and, and uh, prosperity, uh, prospering your soul on the word of God that will change what you believe and how you think and how you talk. Uh, all of which lead to the God kind of prosperity that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible also has something to say about who is rich and who is poor. It's not just all up to God. These, I just pulled out a few scriptures. These are from the book of Proverbs. This is, this is not, by no means all the scriptures, but this is just what Proverbs says about who is rich and who is poor. Chapter 13, verse 4 says, Lazy people want much, but get little, while the diligent are prospering. Chapter 10, verse 4 says, Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Chapter 20, verse 13 says, If you love to sleep, you will become poor. Use your time working, and you will have plenty to eat. Proverbs 21.5 Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. Chapter 21, verse 17 Those who live to party, who pursue pleasure, will end up penniless. Those who enjoy lots of wine and rich food will never have money. Chapter 28, verse 19, hard work brings prosperity. Playing around brings poverty. Proverbs 28, 25, greed causes fighting. Trusting God leads to prosperity. Now, um, this obviously involves personal responsibility which is a concept that is uh, virtually condemned in our society today, where, where there's a big push about this victimization mentality. But let's, let's look at Abraham. Uh, we've seen what kind of God Abraham served. Now let's look, let's look at, the at the attributes Abraham had that enabled God to bless him Fully, what kind of, of man was Abraham uh, that enabled him to experience the full blessing of God? These are not in any particular order, but we're just going to start uh, and just go, go through them kind of as they uh, chronologically in the, the Bible. We're going to start in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 4. And it says, now the, the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families or the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So the first attribute we see of Abraham here, he was an obedient man. 
He was an obedient man. He left the security of his homeland. He left all that was familiar and went into the unknown. Now that takes faith. And some of us have done this. And it takes some faith to leave the comforts and security of home and all that you know and all that's familiar. Leave that all behind and go to an unknown place. That takes faith. Uh, sometimes God has to get people away from a certain place and away from certain people before he can fully bless them. Because how the people around you think and talk can rub off on you in a negative way. We don't realize how much people around us can influence us and hold us back. It's not intentional. <laughs> But, but the people around us definitely can influence us, either positively or negatively. The opposite also applies. People around us may not realize how much they're benefiting by our presence because the blessing of the Lord is on us. And they're just taking it for granted that things are going good with them. But they don't realize it's because of us who's, who's uh, associated with them. The next chapter, uh, Genesis 13, verse 1. And Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, plural. Not a sheep, not a cow, not a tent, Many, plural, flocks and herds and tents. Now we know how Lot got his flocks and herds and tents. Because he was associated with the man Abraham who had the blessing and increase of God on him. This is how Lot became prosperous. Because of his association with uh, Abraham. He's getting blessed right along with Abram because he's connected with Abram who is blessed by God. The point here is, does it matter who you hang out with? Does it matter who you associate with? Does it matter who your closest friends are? Does it matter where you go to church? Does it matter who you're listening to and following. And if you continue to read these following chapters, you'll find out that when Lot disconnected from Abraham, he lost everything. Lost everything. He lost it all. He lost his possessions, his yeah. wife, part of his family, his home, and he ended up in a cave in the mountains committing incest with his two daughters. Now that was his, his uh, finality because he disconnected from Abraham, the man who had the blessing on him. He unhooked from his association with Abraham. He parted ways with Abram and this was a huge, huge mistake. Verse 6 says, now the land was not able to support them, talking about Abram and Lot together, that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great, they could not dwell together. So God increased and blessed them both to the degree that the land would not even hold them. Uh, so every time Abram bought some livestock, he gave Lot some money and said, you, you buy some too. Every time Abram bought some sheep, he gave Lot some money and said, you buy some too. Whenever Abraham sold, Lot sold. So you, you can see how, how uh, Lot began to increase right along with Abraham. Now, uh, as a result here of, of them having so many possessions, God had blessed them to the point where the lamb would not even hold them, they ended up separating from one another, and that's when Lot's life began to take a huge 
decline. Now, instead of parting ways with Abram, what should Lot have done? He could have said to Abram, I, I, I see that there's not enough land here for, for both of us, all of our flocks and herds. I'm going to, say, I'm going to have a cow sale. I'm going, to sell, I'm going to trim my flocks. I'm going to trim my herds. I'm going to take some to the sale, and I'm going to sell them. I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay connected with you because God has blessed me because of my association with you and I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay connected with you and I can take some animals to the sale and I can get rid of them. But that's not what he did. Verse 7 says, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. They were related. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Here we see the second attribute of Abram. He was not selfish. He was not a selfish, greedy man. He gave Lot the first choice of land. He said, you take what you want and I will take whatever's left. So we see here that, that Abram was not a selfish man. He, he preferred his brother. And Lot thought he was taking the choicest land. He, he was the one that was greedy. <laughs> he took what looked like the best land. But it was a huge mistake because he moved to Sodom yeah. and Gomorrah and he lost it all. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 14, next chapter. We see four kings here decided to get together and attack Sodom and Gomorrah. So you can already see uh, the mistake that Lot has made. He's moved to the wrong place. And these four kings conquered the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They took all the provisions and they took Lot and his family as hostage. Now, I imagine at this point, Lot is realizing he has really messed up by disconnecting with Abram and moving to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not turning out like he thought it was going to. He doesn't even know if he and his family are going to be killed, or at best, they may be split up and sold as slaves. But uh, after these kings attacked and they took all the possessions and they captured the people. Someone escaped from the, the town and they went and told Abram what happened. So Abram takes his servants or his employees, 318 of them. So you can see how many employees it took to manage and administrate Abram, uh, Abram's assets. This is how blessed he was. He had 318 employees it took to manage his estate. These people were also trained military people. So they went along with some of Abraham's friends and they went to rescue Lot. They're going to go, 318 men plus a few friends, they're going to go take on four kings and their armies. Now they are hugely, vastly outnumbered. We see a third attribute here of Abram. He was not afraid. He was not afraid to take his employees and some friends and go attack four kings and their armies. Verse 16 says, so he brought, this is Abram, he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods 
as well as the women and the people. This is a miraculous victory. Uh, maybe four or five hundred men, blessed and anointed by God, defeated four kings and their armies. Um, we see here that prosperity is not all about money, although money's included, but this victory uh, is favor, and it's the protection of God. Now, if that's not prosperity, I don't know what is. Favor and, and divine protection, when you're taking on four armies and God gives you the victory, that is prosperity. Verse 18 then Melt, when, when, when he returned with these spoils, Abraham came back home with the spoils and brought all the, the people back. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. Now the book of Hebrews tells us Melchizedek was a type of Jesus, our high priest and king. Verse 19, and he, Melchizedek, blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Amen. And he, Abram, gave him a tithe of all. What else do we know about Abram? What, what, what other attribute did Abram have that enabled God to bless him? We know here that he was a tither. Abram was a tither. By giving a tenth or a tithe of the spoils, Abram was acknowledging that God was responsible for giving him the victory. He would never have defeated those four armies without, without God's protection and favor. And he acknowledged God's, uh, God is the source of his uh, blessing and favor and victory by giving him a tithe or a tenth of the spoils. Tithing is about acknowledging who your source of blessing is. That's what it comes down to. Tithing is acknowledging who is your source of blessing. People that don't tithe today are prideful. They take all the credit for their success. They believe, uh, you know, they went to the right schools and they made all the right deals. They don't acknowledge that it's God who is responsible for their success. The truth is, without God, they wouldn't even be breathing. Without God, they wouldn't even have a job that uh, enables them to succeed. Yet, they don't acknowledge him with the tithe. Genesis uh, chapter 18, verse 1 to 4. We're continuing here with Abram. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. That's pretty good for 99 years old or whatever he was at this time. He ran to the door from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Yeah. So, um, foot washing, he, here he says, uh, you know, let me bring some water, wash your feet, rest yourselves, you know. Foot washing uh, now has primarily become a religious exercise, but it was originally an act of hospitality. Yes. 
you know, we also see it in the New Testament uh, or uh, in the life of Jesus. You know, he went to, was it Simon's house and, and uh, uh, his, they washed his feet. You know, that was uh, an act of hospitality in those days. Verse 5, uh, he continues. He says, I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they, they said, do as you have said. So what else are we learning about Abraham here? What other attribute did he have that enabled God to bless him? He was hospitable. He was a hospitable, generous man. He, he goes to his employed butcher. And he says, these men have come to me. Now, I don't know if Abram realized these were angels or not. The Bible doesn't come out directly and tell us. But they were angels, whether he was aware of it or not. Uh, and Abram says uh, to his butcher, uh, fix the finest roast beef we have. And he tells Sarah, you fix those Yorkshire puddings that you're famous for. And we're going to have uh, your homemade prize-winning scones and strawberry jam for afternoon tea. We're, we're pulling out all the stops, pulling out the best china, the best crystal, everything for our guest. Verse 8 says, So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now, you know, it's easy to overlook these little details here. But it says, Abraham stood by as they ate. This was another custom of hospitality. It was and still is customary in some areas of the world for the host to stand while the visitors eat. Yes. So, so uh, Abraham and Sarah here, they pulled out all the stops and they're, they're showing uh, their hospitality and their generosity toward these guests that have come to them. Yeah. Now, while Abraham is being hospitable to these men, several significant things happen while these men are at their home. Number one, these men have a word from the Lord for Abraham and Sarah. These men, they reaffirm that in their old age, Abraham and Sarah will have the son that God has promised them because they've been wavering back and forth about this, you know. But these men, while they're there uh, in their home, they reaffirm from the Lord that Abraham and Sarah, they will have this promised son. Verse 16 says, um, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. Now this is another little detail of hospitality that we often look over. Abraham got up and went with them to see them off. Now today, most people, when, when the visitors or guests leave their home, they say bye and they close the door. Uh, when people come to see me, when they leave, I walk with them back out to their car. If it's raining, I get the umbrella and I walk with them to the car. It's not necessarily a conscious mm -hmm. thing. It's just being hospitable. Yeah. It's just seeing to it that they get there safely. And, and I'm not just pushing them out the door and closing it and saying bye. I'm, it's an act of hospitality. It's a, it's a godly thing to do. A second significant thing happened as these men left Abraham and Sarah following the hospitality they were given. The Lord gave Abraham advance notice. 
He, he told Abraham in advance that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, giving him, giving his relative Lot an opportunity to get out before he destroyed it. Because Abraham showed hospitality to these men, God confirmed the uh, coming birth of Isaac, and he also delayed the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah so that his relative Lot and his family could be saved. Now these are two things that happened as a result of Abram showing hospitality to these men. Now, I'd say that's living in prosperity. Receiving a word from the Lord and having your family spared from destruction, this is all part of the God kind of prosperity that we're talking about. Yeah. Hospitality is a godly attribute, and this is not the only example. We find hospitality mentioned in the New Covenant. Romans 12:13 says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. 1 Peter 4, verse 9 says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Yes. And I believe that's what happened to Abraham here. He was entertaining angels. He was being hospitable to them, whether or not he knew it. Now, here's a question. What if Abraham had dismissed these men and let them pass on by? What if they had come, you know, to his tent there in the heat of the day, you know, kind of looking for a rest stop? And Abram said, we've had a busy week. Uh, we don't feel like cooking today. And we don't want to have to clean up the mess afterwards. And besides, there's a bed and breakfast just right down the road there. <laughs> what would have happened? He would have missed God. Yeah. He would have missed God if he would have let, sent these men on the way and not have shown them the hospitality that he did. This is a huge thing. As believers, we should be known for our generosity and hospitality. Now, if you're not blessed with the gift of cooking and entertaining, then take someone to dinner and pay for it. Now, I've heard, uh, I've heard Joyce Meyer say, I am not cooking for you. <laughs> you know, if you come to my house, I'm not cooking a meal for you, but I will take you out to dinner and I will pay for it, you know? So we, we can do that. If we're not given to cooking and entertaining, uh, we, we can do that. But I can tell you, my mother had the gift of hospitality. Now, it, uh, all of her uh, cooking skills and ability and, and her anointing to be able to just do it so effortlessly, that didn't really rub off on me. Now, my sisters have more of that gift, but uh, my mother loved to entertain and, and be hospitable to, be, to people, and it was really no effort to her. I mean, you could give her two hours notice, and she'd have a banquet for tw 20 people. And I don't mean it, would, it wouldn't be paper plates and plastic forts either. It, it was, yes. you know, uh, you know, and this was pretty much the way our Sunday lunch was every Sunday. Um, and she, she really had that gift. So I, I, I always say, uh, I think she's going to be in charge of the hospitality section in heaven because that's just, just a gift that she, she has. Yes. Uh, let's move on to Genesis chapter 22. Then he said, this is God speaking to Abram, uh, Abraham now. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac. So now Isaac's been born and he's grown up. 
Take your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So, we see here that um, Abraham was a man who would leave anything, go anywhere, and give anything. Here he is giving his only son. God has asked him to offer up his only son, and he's doing it. He fully intended to do it. And we know the story. God uh, revealed himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees ahead and provides, and he provided the, the ram in the thicket. But um, we're, we're seeing here that Abraham was an obedient man. Uh, he was a hospitable man. He was a tither. He was not afraid. Um, we're, we're seeing that he, he would do anything God told him to do and give anything God told him to give. Uh, these are the attributes he had that enabled God to bless him to such a degree that he did. Now, what, what attributes did Isaac have that enabled him to receive the full blessing of God? Genesis 26, verse 1 and 3 says, There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, Gerar. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. So Isaac was a man who uh, stayed where God told him to stay. Unlike his father, God told his father to leave. He told Isaac to stay yes. where you are. Yes. And he planted where God told him to plant. So he was an obedient man. And that God knew where the hundredfold return was, and that's where he told him to stay and plant. And Isaac was obedient to do it. Now, if he had left, if he had disobeyed God and said, no, I'm going to Egypt anyway, would he have received the same blessing? No, he would not because he would have been disobeying God. God knew where the blessing was and that's why he told him to stay there. And, and fortunately, Isaac obeyed him and he did stay in Gerar and he did so in that land. But this is where many Christians miss it. For whatever reason, they up and leave where God planted them. And as a result, they often end up struggling and out of the will of God. God will lead them to a church or a ministry, and they're blessed there. And if something upsets them and they get their feelings hurt, they're out of there. And they've, they've left uh, their place of blessing. And as a result, they often end up struggling and, and out of the will of God. So God can't bless them the way yes. he, would, he yes. would like to. What attributes did Jacob have that we can learn from, that we can learn from? We, we can all learn uh, from all of these examples. Jacob was faithful. He was not a quitter. Mm -hmm. He stayed where God put him. Yes, he did. His corrupt, lying uncle scammed him not just once, after working seven years to marry Rachel, on the wedding night, Laban switched the girls. He did the switcheroo on him. On him no. And um, Jacob worked another seven years in order to marry Rachel. Genesis 31 verse 7 says, Laban changed his wages ten times 
They did 10 wage deals uh, for Jacob to continue working for him, and Laban broke every single one of them. Uh, but Jacob didn't get mad with his boss no. and run off. He didn't run out just because his boss did him wrong. Now, how many people today would stick around and continue to work for a boss who cheated them one time? I mean, maybe two times. Yes. But they would be off. Yes. Today, people would be off. They would say, you hear, you hear this quite often. They say, I don't have to put up with this. And they turn in their badge, and they're out the door. They're gone. Uh, people today, you know, go to Bible school. Or, and then they, they, work, they go to work for a church or a ministry. And when, within a few weeks, they think if, if they haven't been promoted to pastor, and if they're not preaching to 2,000 people, yes. uh, you know, uh, they're off. And, and they have demonstrated no faithfulness at all. They haven't demonstrated any faithfulness, and you know, and they just think they should suddenly be promoted to a, to a big position and be given a lot of responsibility. Uh, if they don't get, you know, Christians go to go to, uh, 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 they're led to a church or a ministry, and if they don't get treated the way they want to be treated, they're off. Uh, you know. Uh, and they're all often out of the will of God and potentially on the way to being out of the ministry. You know, the, these, these people that finish Bible school, and if they don't get treated the way they want to, when they want to, they often wind up leaving the ministry. I, I heard recently, uh, and not necessarily for this reason, there are many reasons, but I heard recently that 1,000 pastors per month are leaving the ministry in the United States. 1,000 pastors per month are leaving the ministry in the United States. Now, uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just giving one, one example here why these young people who are just starting out yes. often jump up and leave because uh, they're not getting promoted the way they, they, you know, they think this is a career like out yes. in the world, you and know. Many of them do, uh, of you know. Yes. Now, I heard a true story about a pastor who had a, a young minister, you know, working with him, and over time he observed this young man, and, um, you know, he was, he was, faithful uh, over this period of time and as a result the pastor had planned to buy him a new house but he didn't tell him that this was just something he had in his mind uh, he, he wanted to bless this young man but uh, at some point the younger man felt that his gifts and talents were not being recognized yes the way he thought they should well, be. Well, he joined the club. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and he wasn't being promoted the way he thought he should be, so he left. Yes. And the pastor let him walk right out the door, and he never told him that he had planned to buy him a new house. Oh. He let him walk right out. Oh. Now... You think, how many people, how many people have walked away from the blessing of God and didn't even realize what was at the door, yes. the blessing at the door waiting for them? Yes. But they would not exercise any patience. They would not exercise any faithfulness. They, they want it now. They want it yesterday, you know. Uh, but you think, how many people have walked away from the blessing of God just because they didn't get what they want when they wanted it? Well, we live in a now you know, world. Yeah, instant, before, yeah instant gratification. I want to know, yes. So, so God leads people into a church or a ministry or a job. Uh, and, and people often will not take any correction uh, 
you know, from whoever's in authority, whether it's their boss or minister or whatever, and when they don't get their way or they get their feelings hurt, they're off. And this is one reason why we have so many uh, baby Christians in the body of Christ. They bounce from one church to another, one ministry to another, and eventually quit going to church altogether. Jacob was faithful. 20 years, 20, not 20 weeks, not 20 months, no, 20 years, years, while he was being cheated and lied to the whole time. Now, Laban was not a godly man, but he was a businessman. And he recognized that his farming and ranching business and enterprise had exploded uh, and increased massively since Jacob arrived. Now he was wise in that respect. He knew since this boy has arrived, yeah. my business has increased yeah. exponentially. That's why he wanted him to stay. When Jacob came and said, okay, I've worked for you all these years. I want to take my family now and go home. Laban didn't want to let him leave. And, and he said, name your wages. Well, Jacob's suspicious at that point because they've already had all these wage deals and Laban didn't keep any of them. No. So, so uh, Jacob said, no, I'll, I'm going to, I'll, I'll name my wages. And that's when they got into the speckled and spotted cow business. That, that came into play. But, um, but nevertheless, Laban recognized it was because of Jacob's association, because of Jacob working for him. And Jacob had the blessing on him. Now, Laban didn't know it was a blessing of God, probably, but he, he knew this boy's got something on him that's affecting me positively, and it's affecting my business positively. I'm benefiting by having this boy working for me. Uh, this will work for you too. It will work for us too today. If you're faithful where God puts you, and you can work without supervision, even your cheating boss will get blessed. And they will know it's because of that Christian that's working for them. And this is a much more powerful witness to the unbeliever and, and out in the world. This is a much more powerful witness than just trying to preach to these people all the time. That usually turns them off. But when they can see that they're being blessed because you're working for them, they're more willing to listen to what you have to say. Now, you might want to write this down. Faithfulness is demonstrated in years not weeks and months. Faithfulness is demonstrated in years, not weeks and months. What else do we know about Jacob? He was faithful. What else do we know? He was not lazy. He did not have a cushy office job. He was out in the elements. He had sleepless nights. There were wild animals roaming around. And if one of the flock or herd got lost or killed, he paid for it out of his own pocket. Now, how many people today would do that? People today finish university and they go get a job and they're shocked that they're actually expected to work while they're there. They're the last ones in to work, and they're the first ones to leave. And these are not the kind of people that employ employers are looking for. They're, they're not looking for, for people who are the last one in and the first one out. They're looking for the people who are the first one in and the last one out. You cannot be lazy and a clock watcher and expect to be blessed. Now, I may be stepping on some toes here, but in today's society, many parents are setting their kids up for failure instead of setting them up for success. 
They don't give them any personal responsibility at home, which is an integral part of training them for life. The parents wait on the kids hand and foot. They spend much of their time entertaining them. The parents go to their room and they pick up the 15 teacups that have been left in there all week and they bring them back to the kitchen. The parents go collect the dirty laundry and do it. The father's out cutting the grass and wa washing the car while the kids are inside playing video games and watching inappropriate content on their iPad. Now, I haven't digressed from what we're talking about. We're talking about attributes that enable us to be fully blessed by God. And we're also answering the question why some people are blessed and some are not. You're not going to be blessed if you're lazy or if you're not obedient or if you're not faithful or if you don't stay where God put, where God put yeah. you. These are all important attributes of, of who's blessed and who's not. Uh, we, we have to cooperate with God. Now, we've, we've used the blessing many times. We keep seeing the word blessed and blessing over and over and over in this study. The word blessing is found 73 times in the King James Version. What does it mean to be blessed according to the Bible? That word is thrown around very casually in our society today and it doesn't really mean anything anymore. But what is the Bible definition? If you look up the word in the concordance and the dictionary and you, you put it all together, it means to be endued with power to succeed. To be endued with power to succeed. Power for prosperity, power for longevity. This is all part of total prosperity. It's all part of, of the blessing. It is an anointing and ability from God for happiness, to succeed and prosper spiritually, mentally, physically, and materially. This is what the word blessing means. And this is the anointing and ability from God that we see uh, on Abraham, on uh, Isaac, Jacob. It goes on to Joseph. We haven't really got into Joseph. But it go, it's on Abraham and his natural descendants. Now, we see this, this blessing and ability to succeed and prosper, this is how God began all of this. He created and empowered the universe with his word. He blessed and empowered the animals to multiply. He blessed and empowered Adam and Eve with the same empowerment um, and to have dominion over all the earth. Then after sin had come in and God had to destroy the earth. Genesis uh, 9 verse 1, the only people left were Noah and his family. In Genesis 9 verse 1, after sin came in and destroyed the earth, he then pronounced this same blessing and empowerment to succeed and increase and prosper on Noah and his sons. And it's from Noah and his sons that all the rest of us are here. Uh, the same blessing was invoked on Abraham and his natural descendants. Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and there's that word, and, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and then all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I just used the word bless or blessing one, two, three, four, 
five times there in three verses. So, this is a blessing God invoked on Abraham and his natural descendants. Has God changed? No. Is this blessing still in effect? Yes. If we look at Galatians 3.13, this is centuries later. This is centuries after Abraham. Genesis, uh, Galatians 3.13, Christ has, we're in Christ, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now this is talking about Jesus going to the cross for us, the curse of, of, that came into the earth, uh, the curse of sin and all of its side effects that we would have had to pay for. Jesus went to the cross and he was made to be sin for us. He let all of that sin, past, present, and future, fall on him. Now, why did he do this? Many people would say, so we wouldn't have to go to hell. That's true, praise God, and that's part of it. But what does this verse in Galatians 3 uh, 14, why does it say he did it? It says he did it that the blessing of Abraham, yes. which we've been talking about for yes. two months, yes. the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that's us, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So this says we, it was, he did it so we could receive right. the same blessing, yeah. the same promise made to Abraham. So what was the, the, what's in the blessing to Abraham? We just read it. I will uh, make you a, a great uh, nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Those that bless you, I'll bless. Those that curse you, I'll curse. Um, Christ took the curse for us so we could have this blessing. We're blessed like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. The same blessing and anointing of increase is on you and me. He says, I will bless those who bless you. If people really believe that, yes. uh, they, would be, they would be bringing things yes. to their church and ministry by the truckload instead of ministries and churches having to beg people for help and begging them to do something. If they really believe this, they'd be bringing their, their, uh, their talents and their gifts and their abilities and their money and, and uh, ability to, to the church, to the body of Christ. But this same blessing is still in effect today, and it is on us. Amen? It is Amen. on us. Amen.